Hey, uh, good morning. Good to see you guys. I am um, glad you're here. And, um, you know, uh, Shelly uh, was talking about how uh, thankful she is uh, for our worship team. And um, I, I, I know what she means, but I think sometimes when uh, people say those kinds of things, oh, I'm thankful for the worship team, you know, their immediate thought is, um, wow, they sound really good. I love listening to them. And I, they are excellent. But let me tell you what Shelly means and what I am so thankful for in our worship team is that it's not just about musical excellence. It is about a passion for God that runs deep in them. And uh, for all this energy that you see Rick have as he leads us, uh, there is, that is all about an equal passion that runs deep in his heart for God. And uh, that's what I appreciate about them as they lead us in worship. And uh, that's what I want it to be all about here at Crosspoint. Um, it's great for everything to sound good and look good. Uh, but what really matters is the passion in our hearts for God as we worship Him. And I value the fact that as these guys lead us, uh, that's true in their lives. Well, we're uh, in the middle of the series that we've called The Me I Want to Be. And we're just talking about the reality that when all of us look at our lives, we want our lives to count for something. We want to make a difference. We want to do some good in our lives. We want to know in our lives that life is about more than just uh, you know, collecting paychecks and paying the bills and accumulating stuff, that there, there's something more to life than that. And uh, that there is this me that we were created to be. And you know what the reality is? God says there is more to life, that we were created to do something more than that. In fact, we've been looking at this verse every week. It says this, uh, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You, as I've said every week, you are a work of art. And you were created by God to do good things. And so we've been kind of working our way along, discovering some of those good things that we were created to do in our lives. And then the first week we talked about the fact that we were created to do good for those around the world who are suffering and hurting, people in poverty and hunger, and our neighbor right next door that is struggling. Last week we talked about the fact that, that everyone who is a Christ follower is part of the body of Christ. And as a part of the body of Christ, we have all been given a role in helping God to accomplish His purpose here on the earth. And all of us have a, a part to play in that. And that's part of the good that we were created to do. In our culture, though, there is a huge obstacle that stands in the way for many of us. It blocks our progress towards becoming the me that we want to be, the me that we were created by God to be. Here's what I think that obstacle is. What are you, some kind of energy freedom fighter? No, no Mr. Gekba, I'm in this game to make money like anybody else. So what about money, Jake? You like her? Do I like her? I never, I've never thought about money as a sheep. Oh, she lies there in bed at night with you, looking at you, one eye open. Money never sleeps. And she's jealous. You don't pay close, close attention. You wake up in the morning, she might be gone forever. And I think you want to be in the family business. Which is what? Payback. If I'm not in that business anymore, the one thing I learned in jail is that money is not the prime asset in life. Time is, and uh, your time is just about up. Money never sleeps. 
And money has a way of keeping us from becoming the me that I want to be and the me that God created us to be. Now, Jesus uh, in the Bible introduces us to a young man, a, a young man who was struggling in life, that maybe thinking there was something missing, feeling, I think, a lot like many of us do at times, thinking there's got to be something more to life than just, you know, collecting a paycheck and paying the bills and accumulating stuff. And we're going to quickly see in this story as we read it today that this young man, in his life, money was keeping him from becoming the me that he wanted to be. So if you brought your Bibles, I hope you did. Why don't you open them up to Mark chapter 10 where we find this story. And Mark is the second book in the New Testament part of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John. And we're going to be in chapter 10. And I want you to follow along with me this morning. But let me kind of give you this note before we begin because I want you to hear everything that I'm going to say today through the filter of this. Because some of you are going, oh great, he's going to talk about money. I knew I should have stayed home today. But here's what I want you to hear before we go any farther. The Bible never indicates that money in itself is evil. There's no suggestion of what we're going to talk about today, that none of us should have money or that we should go home and get rid of all the things that make us comfortable. But there is an issue about money that often stands in the way of us becoming the me that I want to be. And that's what I want to look at in this story that Jesus uh, happens in Jesus' life. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Here we go. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Now this man, as we'll discover a little bit later, was a very wealthy young man. Uh, this story is also recorded in uh, Matthew and in the book of Luke. And in both of those stories, we find that this is a young guy. So uh, I would surmise from that that he was probably kind of a young entrepreneurial type guy. And in a relatively short period, at a very young age, he had accumulated a lot of wealth. He ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, as we're going to discover as we read farther here, this young man knows God. He's been keeping the commandments of the Old Testament. But I think part of his question here, as he asks, what do I have to do to, inter- to inherit eternal life? He's asking, he's saying, Jesus, there's something missing in my life. There's got to be something more. What am I missing? Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And Jesus was hinting here at helping this guy to understand, you're talking to God in the flesh. You know the commandments, Jesus says, verse 19. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Those are the last six of the ten commandments that we find in the Old Testament. All these commandments refer to the way that we interact with other people. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And maybe there's a little bit of pride in his voice as he says that. Jesus looked at him, and these next three words are very important. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What Jesus is going to say to this young man is not spoken in meanness or as a way of discipline or strictness. What Jesus is about to speak into this young man's life is spoken purely out of love for him. And it's true for us today. The lesson that Jesus teaches here is spoken to us out of love for us. Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, there is one thing missing. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, 
how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at these words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that verse later. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? The disciples think that that's impossible, Jesus. What you have just spoken can't be done by anyone. And so Jesus explains, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now here's what happens. Something was missing in this man's life. He was was searching. He was searching for what was missing in his life. And like many of us, he knew there had to be something more. Now, understand, this guy was religious. He knew God. He he knew the commandments of the Old Testament. He was uh, probably in church on most weeks. He probably picked up his Bible to read it occasionally. I'd even go so far to say that this guy, this smart, young, entrepreneurial guy, was so smart that he even knew how important it was to get connected in a life group and do life with other people. That's not actually in the Bible. I'm just assuming that he was smart enough to know how important it is to be connected to a life group. But this young man, he knew God. He was religious, but something was still lacking. Something was still missing in his life. Tina Sinatra writes about her father, Frank, in a book, and she says this, My father was a man who all his life looked outside for what was missing inside. And I think maybe that's true for this young man. He was looking outside for what was missing on the inside. He was going through the the motions of following God, but his life was really being ruled by another God, the God of money. Someone said, and, and maybe sometimes for us, maybe sometimes for us, that's true for us, that our lives are ruled by money. Our lives are controlled by money more than they're controlled by God. Someone has said, you can learn to manage money or it will manage you. Jesus said it even more clearly in Matthew chapter 6 when he wrote this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he gets very specific. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, stop and let that sink in for a minute. He says you can't serve two masters. You cannot have divided loyalties. Notice, he doesn't suggest that it is difficult to love God and money. He doesn't suggest that it is hard to work for both God and and money. He doesn't say, oh, it's stressful to serve God and money. He says, you can't do it. It's impossible. You have to pick one or the other to control your life. Now, I think a lot of us feel the, the stress of money in our lives. And maybe that some of that stress comes because we are trying to live with divided loyalties. This young man was 
said that he was following God, capital G. But the reality is, as we look into his life and how he responds to what Jesus says, that he was really being controlled by another God, little g, the God of money. I think this guy is a perfect demonstration of an important truth. That it is more important what you do, oftentimes, than what you say. For instance, I can say that I think my kids are really important, but if I never spend any time with the boys, then they're not really important to me. You can say, I think it's really important to read my Bible, but if you never pick the Bible up and read it, it must not be very important to you. And you can say, I am serving God more than money, but is that really true? Is that really how you're living? It's been said many times, you can tell what's important to a person by looking at their calendar and their checkbook, or the equivalent for us today would might be their QuickBooks or their bank statement or their credit card statement. Because how you spend your time and where you spend your money determines and illustrates in our life what is really important to us. And if a lot of us were honest this morning, we've placed far too high a value on money. I think that this young man had some of the same misconceptions that many of us often have about money. And these misconceptions caused him as well as us to often place far too much value on money. And I think these misconceptions were keeping this young man from becoming the me that he wanted to be. And maybe these misconceptions do the same to us. They are keeping us. They are an obstacle to becoming the me that we really long to be. We really long to live that life that makes a difference, that matters, that does good. And often money becomes an obstacle. There are four misconceptions I want to point out to you. Number one, we have the misconception that it's my stuff. It's my stuff. And the reality is, I don't own anything, really. It all belongs to God. It was God's in the beginning before I ever got here on earth, and it'll be God's in the end. He just happens to loan it to me in the middle for about 80 years for me to, to take care of and to manage. It's not mine. It belongs to Him. Now, why do I feel so strongly about that? Why would I make such a strong statement? Listen to what the Bible says. Not my words, the words of the Bible. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all God's. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. He says, it's all mine. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gave you the ability to produce wealth. It all belongs to Him. My son Michael is a freshman in college at a school in Iowa, and he called me on the phone this week and was telling me that he's out driving a friend's car one night this week, and he almost ran into a deer, which was a whole new experience for him as a Florida boy. But um, he... Um, he, you know, he went on to tell me the whole story about it. And he said, you know, when I'm driving Kenny's car, I'm so nervous that, that I'm going to mess it up or, you know, get in an accident and do something to damage his car, which I'm glad he feels that way. Um, and it's true, isn't it? If you drive somebody else's car, you have somebody else's possessions, there is this sense of, ooh, I better be careful because it's not really mine. They've loaned it to me and I better take good care of it. And maybe you think, well, that's, that's not really a big deal. But it is. Because if we really understand that our money is not ours, 
it affects the way we handle it. If I think the money's all mine, then it's no big deal, is it, if I go out and blow it on some frivolous thing? But if I understand that actually belongs to God, it makes a difference in how I manage it. If I remember He's just loaned it to me, and He's watching how I take care of it. There's a second misconception. The second misconception is that it's my source of security. We have this idea that money is our source of security. I think for this young man. When Jesus said to him, I want you to give all you have to the poor and then come follow me. I think one of his first thoughts was, oh, wait a minute, Jesus. What about retirement? You know, I got kids college yet. You know, we were saving for that new car. What do I do if, you know, the economy turns upside down? What do you mean? Whoa, whoa, this money is my security. And you know what? I am not suggesting this morning that we shouldn't save for retirement or our kids' college or you shouldn't be saving for the next car. Those are all very biblical principles. But our problem is that we have made all of that savings and our money our sense of security instead of allowing God to be our security. Because what's our first reaction? When something blows up in life, what's one of the first things that most of us think of as Americans? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to buy my way out of this? How am I going to take care of this financially? Money, for a lot of us, has become our source of security. And I think part of what Jesus was teaching this man was, you need to place your security back in me. I think that's part of what he has to say in verse 25, which is a confusing verse. Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, uh, what's that all about, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Which to us sounds like, Jesus, you must be saying that's impossible. But here's what I think Jesus was saying. He was saying, because you guys are so rich, and you know what, as Americans, we all are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Because you're so rich, you find it difficult to place your trust more in me than you do in all of your stuff. And as long as you're placing your trust in your stuff, it's going to be tough to really follow me. It's not until you place your trust in me completely that you can fully follow me. Third misconception. More will make me happier. That's true, right? If I just have a little bit more, I'll be happy. If I just have a little bit more... I won't worry anymore. We know the reverse is actually true. The more I have, the more I seem to have to worry about. We, uh, our family took a trip to Seattle last summer. And on this particular trip, because of what we were doing, it required taking along a lot of clothing and stuff. And so we all, as we went to the airport, we all had, you know, a backpack stuffed full of stuff. And we had big suitcases we're wheeling along. And so when we get to the, the airport, you know, there's this, unloading all this stuff and getting it all checked in and paying the extra money to have the luggage. And, uh, you know, when we get there, we got to get it all off the baggage carrier and tote it all to our hotel. You know, and as I'm doing all this with this luggage throughout the trip, I'm thinking, what? This is such a hassle, having all this stuff. The year before, uh, the two boys and I, uh, my two sons and I, had gone to Indiana for an overnight trip. And on that trip, we just threw two or three things in a backpack and away we went. And I thought, what a, what a comparison how much easier it was on that trip with just a few things in our backpack and away we went and we weren't worried about lugging all of this luggage around. And a lot of us are lugging a whole bunch of stuff through life. And you know what? The more we have doesn't make us any happier. 
It's just more stuff to lug along. When we uh, we bought a, a minivan several years ago now, and I remember when we first purchased our Honda Odyssey, no one was allowed to have any kind of fooding, food, drink, dirt, anything that could have messed up a single fiber of the carpet in that thing. You know, we wanted it, I wanted it to stay pristine forever in my mind. But you know what happened when time went along. Soon we started eating in there and having drinks in there and before long somebody had spilled and somebody else had nicked the outside of it and there were scratches and you know what now it's just a vehicle and we don't worry about anybody having food in there or whatever because over time it simply hasn't mattered so much to us but we have this way of thinking if i just have that one more thing that'll make me happy i won't worry so much and the reality is the more we have the more we worry and the more there is to lug through life One more misconception. Number four, it's mine to keep forever. It's mine to keep forever. We think that whatever we possess, I'm going to hang on to it forever, right? It's always going to be mine. Eh, Not true. The Bible says this in Proverbs. Wealth can vanish in the wink of an eye. It can seem to grow wings and fly away like an eagle. Or as Michael Douglas said in the movie, money never sleeps. You wake up in the morning... And it's gone. It is not mine to keep forever. The reality is there will come a day for all of us when we will leave this earth and we will take none of it with us. None of it. It will all be left behind. My, uh, when uh, Michael was getting ready to go off to college, um, we got in the mail um, these catalogs and if you're Kids go off to college, you'll get these too probably. I don't know how they get your name and address, but they did. And they, these catalogs were full of all of the stuff that you needed for your college dorm room. It was ridiculous. I mean, I've never seen... We don't have this kind of nice stuff at home. Let alone was I going to buy this stuff for him to take off to his college dorm room. I mean, we gave him what was necessary, and honestly, he probably has quite a few things that are even way beyond what's necessary, but I wasn't buying all the junk in this magazine. It would have made his dorm room like the Taj Mahal. It was ridiculous. And my thought was, don't they realize it's a temporary place to live? They don't even spend that much time in their dorm room. And actually, in Michael's case, he ends up spending, he's found some Christian guys that live in an apartment off the campus and they keep inviting him to stay the night there. He's hardly ever in his dorm room. You know, it's temporary. It's not permanent. And sometimes we have this mindset with our stuff that we are here forever. And the reality is our dwelling here on earth is temporary. It is not permanent. Someday we will all leave this earth and everything we have will be left behind. There are a lot of funeral homes that if you don't own a suit for your loved one to be buried in, they will sell you a funeral suit. And it is a normal suit in every way, pair of trousers, A jacket with one detail that's different. There are no pockets in a funeral suit. You don't need pockets because you're not taking anything with you. It all gets left behind. It is not mine to keep forever. So what's the answer? How do we move beyond having this divided loyalty that a lot of us, if we're honest, struggle with? How do we become the me I want to be by getting money in the right place in our lives. 
Well, I think not only does Jesus answer that question and how he responded to this young man, but if you look over in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul was writing a letter here and he gives us the similar answer about what it takes to make sure that God is first place in our lives. Paul said this, Command those who are rich in this present world, that would be us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with us for everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That word truly can also be translated real. That you want to experience real life? That you want to be the me that you want to be? Paul says part of the answer to the whole money thing is to learn to do good, to be generous, to give it away. And that was Jesus' response to this young man. He said, give it away. Now, I don't think Paul is teaching here, nor do I think Jesus was indicating that you and I need to go home and have a giant garage sale and sell all of our stuff and unload all of our assets. I don't think that's the principle. I think the principle that he was teaching and modeling here was that we need to move to having an attitude that says, I would be willing to give it all away because it was never mine in the first place. And you know what? For some of us, there might be some things that you need to literally give away because they have that strong of a hold on you. Giving them away is a vivid picture that it is not all about us. It's about God. When I give it away, it helps me to get over the divided loyalties. You know what? As long as I am letting money control me, it's my master. But when I give it away, it becomes my slave. When I give, it is a joyful surrender that acknowledges I am giving to a greater person and a greater agenda. When I give it away, it acknowledges that I am putting God above money in my life. Now, if this were a television show, across the screen right now would flash those words that I hate to see right at that you know, intense moment to be continued. Because today we've identified this issue that is a huge obstacle to really being the me that I want us to be, the struggle with money in our lives. And I've given you just a snapshot of the answer, but next week I want you to come back and we're going to dig in more deeply to this whole concept of giving. And what it really looks like to live this out in our lives so that we end up being the me that I want to be. Because I, I know all of us. I would be amazed to meet somebody who would say, yeah, I don't really care if my life counts for anything. I don't really care if my life ever matters. No, I think we all want our lives to matter. There is a me that we want to be. But honestly, money often stands as an obstacle to becoming all that God created us to be. Let's pray together. God, this is not an easy subject, but you talk about it all the time in your Word. And Father, as Americans in our culture, the idea about talking about money makes some of us in this room uncomfortable. God, I just pray that you'd help those in this room that are uncomfortable to move beyond that and just to be honest. God, there are some of us in this room that would immediately say this is an issue for me, and God, I want some help. And I pray, God, that for those of us who would say that, give us the help that we desire. And God, I know this morning there are others in this room who don't want to 
deal with this. They don't want to acknowledge that this would be a struggle in their life and in their heart. And, and I pray, God, this week you'd break through that and they'd be willing to be honest and acknowledge that maybe it is a struggle in their life too. And God, I know there'll be some people in this room that are tempted to find reasons and excuses not to come back next week because they don't want to talk about this anymore. And I pray, Father, you'll just work right through those obstacles and bring them back next week that together we might learn what you said in your word about how to give it away and how to honor you with our finances so that we get rid of this divided loyalty and we put you very first in our lives so that we really can be the me that you created us to be. In Jesus' name I pray.